If you could know three things from the future, what would they be? If you could know three things that were going to come in your life, if you could choose them, what would you like to know? Maybe ask people those questions, and here's just a few of them, all true answers. Uh, Number one, the day that I die. Number two, and I was surprised how many of them said this, I want to know the winning numbers in the lottery jackpot in the near future. Another one, uh, the exact time and magnitude of the next natural disaster. Uh, Another one says the next terror attack. Um, Again, uh, I want to know where to get the lottery ticket. Another one says I want to know if I'm going to marry, and then I want to know who I'm going to marry. Another one says I want to know when I'm going to die. Another one says I wish the exact day that I die, and interesting note, so I can repent for my sins. <laughs> that person's waiting to the last second, I'll tell you what. Um, but the truth is, uh, all of us really uh, would love to know the future. Well, guess what? We do know the future. In fact, we not only uh, have been told the future, it is written down. And the book of Revelation is a book of, that reveals the future. In fact, in these uh, chapters we've been studying for the last couple of weeks and this morning as well, there's a scroll, a seven-sealed scroll. That is the, uh, the pattern. It is, the, it is all that's going to happen in the upcoming days. And si- seven different seals, as the old ancient uh, documents often were, and we're going to go through the first six of those here this morning, and I'm sure that you'll be blessed. We have lots of ground to cover, so we're going to get right into it. But this is just in, I received this this morning, bulletin from heaven. Due to the government shutdown, the light at the end of the tunnel will be turned off. <laughs> That's bad. But the truth is, uh, no, there is hope, isn't there, in Jesus Christ. Let's all bow for a word of prayer, if you would. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to be here. Oh, God, give us your mind. I pray that, Lord, those that need to be made uh, afraid uh, with a healthy fear, do so. For those who, uh, Lord, are afraid but need hope, give them hope. Lord, I pray that each one of us certainly would uh, rest in these words about the future days. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 6 now, if you would please go ahead and open your Bible there or your apps or your cell phones, your iPads, your laptops, your desktops, whatever you do, let's go to the Word of God. Seven seals. Why is this chapter about the seals? Well, these are like a big giant scroll. God is just unrolling them. And each one delivers a judgment from God, and then another seal is broken, and another judgment from God. It's just a very picturesque way. If you are uh, keeping record and you're comparing Scripture with Scripture, which is a wise thing, uh, this would, as it talks about in in Matthew 24, it talks about these birth pangs. And God describes the upcoming events as a woman who's pregnant, and she knows she's getting closer to that point, a very vivid illustration when these contraction and other things happen in her body, 
And that's what's happening here. And so these, uh, and notice there are seven seals. As we'll see uh, the seventh seal next week, but seven seals, meaning this is the complete judgment of God. What are they? Well, first of all, the first seal that God says. Now, remember what's happened here. The church is gone. Chapter 4, verse 1, come up hither, and the church is gone. Chapter 2 and 3 talks about the church over and over again. Again, a dozen times or more, mentions the word church. And then after chapter 4 and on, it doesn't mention it again. The church is gone. So this is talking about what's going to happen at the beginning of the tribulation. It approaches to the middle part of the tribulation and actually seal judgments 5 and 6 are towards the end of the tribulation period. So what happens first? Right, uh, right out of the gate, the church is gone. What's going to happen here on earth? Deception. The first seal is deception. All right, let's read verses 1 and 2 together out loud. We'll see if we can do that at least to begin with here this morning. Ready, begin. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Beasts. <laughs> Actually, it's just a, kind of an unfortunate uh, old English word. It just means a, a heavenly creature, really an angel. We believe it is a cherubim, as recorded in Ezekiel chapter 1. This cherubim, who's around the throne of God, says, come. That actual Greek word uh, could be translated, many times is translated in Scripture, as go or actually ride. And so here, this cherubim is calling to this rider, to this horse, really one and the same, and saying, you need to go. It is time to move out. Notice, if you will, please, verse 2, it says, a white horse comes and a crown and a bow is given. And this uh, crown and this bow is what? Is in our belief that uh, what we have taught here, what I do teach here this morning is that it is a deceptive but short-lived world peace. The uh, rider and the horse are not a particular individual, although it really could be the uh, Antichrist in one way, but it is, a, uh, it is a force for peace, false peace as it were, but it is, uh, notice it is a white horse, and so it is the appearance of good, prosperity begins to blossom and things begin to happen in a wonderful way. And uh, notice that this right, the rider of the horse has a bow, but has no arrows. Here reminding us that this horse has power, but is limited, don't have all the arrows. And it's able to conquer actually without ever shooting anything, which would be uh, in keeping with peace. Notice it says there's a crown given. And so all of a sudden peace comes, and we'll in a moment say why we believe that, but peace comes. It is crowned as the, uh, the greatest thing all over the world, and everybody wants to have peace. And of course, it only makes sense after the great catastrophe of the rapture. People are saying, man, we just, and someone's going to come along and going to offer peace to this world, but it's going to be a deceptive and false security. So some people have wondered when they see these judgments, is this 
actually Jesus that's on a white horse. We don't believe it is because, first of all, Christ is actually opening the seal. He's not riding the horse here in this verse. Also, uh, Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation, hisses at the beginning of the tribulation. And we also know that Christ doesn't carry a bow. He carries a sword. And so it's pretty obvious this is actually not Christ, but it does seem very similar to Christ. And that would be in keeping with the theme of Antichrist. It is someone like Christ, but it is not Christ. They are white. They appear to be good. But it says a crown was given to him. And this rider, this horse, this peace, this world peace is going to be crowned. And everybody, everybody today is going to love this peace. And that's what's going to happen. But it's a false utopia. In the future, this world is headed for severe judgment. But first, it's headed for peace. Today, everywhere, especially the radical left, constantly talks about how important globalism is, how important it is to be global. But I remind you that a single global authority will eventually tyrannize mankind. And really, a single global authority is nothing new. It happened in the Tower of Babel. Others have tried to do it. Alexander the Great, the Great tried to do it. The Roman emperors tried to do it. Others have tried to do it. But the fact is the Antichrist will accomplish it, and he will do it as a man of peace. He will come out of Europe, and he will establish this great peace covenant but it is a deceptive peace. And so the first seal, worldwide peace. You'd say, well, I thought there was great wars coming. Well, there is. And that's what we're going to see here next. The second seal, verses three and four. Let's read it together. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. This is really why we believe that the first one is a uh, white horse of peace, because it says that this horse comes along and takes the peace. Sometimes these four horses are known as the four horses of the apocalypse, and these uh, horses are just very vivid descriptions of what's going to happen. They come in, they come riding into this world, the second seal opens up, and it is disputation. It is fighting wars. And again, Matthew 24 says that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars during the tribulation period. And notice that this horse is red as opposed to white. White seems good. White seems peaceful. Red like fire. Red like blood. Speaking of war, but not just war, war in its most devastating form. Notice it says it takes peace from the earth. And very specifically, it says that men will kill each other. Violent crime will skyrocket. We think it's bad now when we see about things going on, certain cities like Chicago or maybe over here in Oakland and sometimes even in our local area, and we just shudder at the thoughts of what would it be like when violence, and there's always some great violent thing about to happen, shooting in Las Vegas or at a, at a school uh, on the East Coast. It's terrible. But the Bible teaches here that it's going to be such as we've never imagined. People will kill each other. I mean, everybody's going to be walking around with guns or whatever the case, they're going to kill each other. 
But notice what it says, that power was given to this horse. We must never imagine that this white horse, this false piece that comes along somehow just does it on their own. No, the Bible says that it has been given to them. God is the one that allows evil to come into this world. He's the one that allows it for His purpose. And here in this case, He's going to allow war. But it says it takes peace from the earth. So this is not just a local problem. This is an earthwide global war. We hear about worldwide wars, World War I, but actually it wasn't all the world that was involved. World War II, not actually all the world, but this is going to be a worldwide war. It says a great sword was given, a great sword. Now, it's an interesting phrase there. Normally in the Greek, when they use the word sword, it's a the, uh, it's a sword that's a broadsword. It's a long sword. It's the sword they use in battle. But this particular word is a different word, a unique word. It actually is a word for a dagger. And so in this time, it says daggers will be used, suggesting assassination, assess, uh, suggesting rebellion, suggesting revolt. And so the Antichrist comes in with peace, solves earth's problems, most likely in the Middle East. He comes out of Europe. Israel is under his protective umbrella, and then war begins, maybe locally at first, maybe uh, one country will attack another company, but pretty soon this old world is going to be in a worldwide war. It's an interesting thing I read this week, Institute of Economics and Peace, said that wars are flaring up everywhere, always. The most recent study shows that there's only 11 countries in the world, listen to this, only 11 countries today that are conflict-free. That means that if you want to live in a country without conflicts, uh, then your, your chances are very slim. The only ones are these 11, Switzerland, Japan, Qatar, Mauritius, I don't know where that is, but uh, Uruguay, Chile, Botswana, Costa Rica, Vietnam, Panama, and Brazil. Eleven countries in this world are the only ones that could be considered conflict-free. Well, the fact is when the tribulation comes, even all of them will be in conflict. But at first, peace, and then disputation, deception, disputation. And the third seal now opens, deprivation. Let's go to verses 5 and 6. Let's read it together. Ready? Begin. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third verse say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou not hurt the oil and the wine. Notice this verse begins with a shocking explanation. Behold, behold, or you better see what's about ready to happen. It only makes sense if war is all over the globe, people will start producing, food supplies will be destroyed. As a result, rationing will take place. Notice the scales in the hands of this writer. Scales, rationing, they're going to measure out and you only get a little bit of food, a little bit of things in your hand. The third seal is hunger. Today, many 
countries in the world are already experiencing hunger. Thousands of people every day die from hunger worldwide, and it's only going to get worse. Notice it says in verse number six that in the voice of the uh, is in the midst of the four beasts. There comes a voice right out of the four um, cherubims. Well, we know what that voice is. It comes out of the center. Since they're cherubim, they're surrounding the throne of God. This is God. God is speaking here. This is not something that just happened. God is giving us this word. And then it says that a measure of wheat for a penny. A measure is a quart. Basically enough to sustain one person if they have a moderate appetite for one day. A penny, actually the Greek word denarius, is one day's wage back in that time. And so basically you work for a day to get enough food to eat for one day. But that was just for you. And that's what's going to happen. It'll say it'll be an entire day's wage just to be able to eat for one day. But then it says, if you need enough for your family, three measures of barley for a penny. Now, uh, wheat was human food. Barley was basically animal food. But if you needed a bigger amount, then you could get more. But you'd have to basically be eating dog food or or animal feed. And God said that's what's going to be like in that day. But then it says, notice, see that thou hurt not the oil in the wine. God's warning those people of that day that the basic necessities are going to be so important. And things like oil and wine, which really wouldn't be anything special, but certainly not as basic as wheat. God says, if you have those kind of things, you better make sure you're careful with them because even the basics will be shortage. And it's also talking about the fact that in that time, food is going to be at a premium. And it makes sense. You have peace. Everything's wonderful. Everything's glorious. The church is gone. Everybody's happy that all those Bible thumpers are gone. All those uh, haters are gone. And uh, someone promises peace and brings peace. But it only lasts for a few moments. And then war comes. And of course, following war comes deprivation. Today, the joblessness rate is at a 50-year low. And of course, that is considered good by many people. And it's good for a lot of businesses. But there is a very much a downside to that. Most CEOs and most CFOs that are asked of large companies are asked, what is the number one concern that they have? And the number one concern is not sales, not any of that, but the number one concern is skilled labor shortages. Almost everybody is looking for somebody that will work. And of course, that's uh, only uh, natural. Uh, The uh, amount of abortions, uh, 60 million Americans over the last 40 or 50 years, uh, plus the low birth rate. It's coming back to bite our country. If it weren't for immigrants coming in, we would have a, a, a country in decline. But the fact is, they're not going to have enough workers to get the food. And so people have been killed. Uh, there's going to be food that's going to just rot on the vine. And that's what's going to happen here. Deception, disputation, and followed by deprivation. Finally, the fourth seal, death. All right, verses 7 and 8, and when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice from the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And so we have a white horse, and now, then we had a red horse, and now we have a pale horse. 
And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that said on him was Death, and Hell, or Hades, actually followed him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and the beasts of the earth. It's an interesting term. That word pale horse is actually the Greek word for chloros or chlorine or chlorophyll. It's green in its uh, hue and in its color. A pale, ashen, green pallor. Really, if you've ever seen anything dead, similar to that, a decomposing corpse perhaps. But what follows uh, famine? Well, naturally death. What follows death? As it says here, hell, or the word is Hades, just simply means the grave. And so God said, there's going to be so many graves being dug because there's going to be these dead people laying all around, these green, ashen, um, pale uh, people that are laying all around and grave diggers. And of course, that's just going to bring up disease. In fact, so much so that it says a fourth part of the earth is going to die. Now, assuming it was right now, 6 billion people, that means 1.5 billion people. This would literally wipe out entire continents. So what is this talking about? What's happening? Was there, during the time of war, were there weapons of mass destruction? You know, back at the time, this was uh, written, given to, I should say, to the apostle John. There was only bows and arrows and spears. They had other uh, things that were pretty inventive, but for the most part, nothing like a weapon of mass destruction. These kind of things could certainly happen today like they couldn't have happened 2,000 years ago. Bioweapons, sophisticated arms now, some of the things they're talking about, some of the things that Russia is doing with their supersonic missiles that can fly so many times the speed, the sound of speed, and, or the speed of sound, and the things that America's doing now with lasers, uh, they're just about ready to put lasers in some of their um, weaponry. A fourth part of the earth is going to die. And then notice what it says, strangely enough, that the beasts of the earth are going to also consume things, consume people apparently. And so we're seeing uh, peace, then we see fighting, then we see death here. And there's so much death, and part of it is caused by wild beasts. You'd say, well, what in the world does that mean? There's no wild beasts in America, really. I mean, uh, well, actually, uh, I was just reading in California that, and actually many of the western states, that the wolf, which, uh, you know, used to be such a, a problem uh, and with people's sheep and even people, but uh, they, uh, they became a protected, they almost went out of uh, um, it almost wasn't anymore, but now they've been so protected that they're beginning to come back, and they're destroying livestock, and it's terrible, but wild beasts. But you know, the actual fact is the, the most deadly, the most destructive creature on the face of the earth is not a wolf or not a snake or not a lion or our family uh, our missionaries to uh, West Africa, and they said actually the hippo is the most fierce of all animals where they lived. But it's not an alligator. Actually, the, historically, the, de- the deadliest creature on earth is a rat. Rats are responsible for the loss of billions of dollars in America alone. I was reading the other day how in, uh, in, um, in France, rats are so prevalent in the parks there because they won't let them use uh, pest control. 
And so they're trying to figure out any, and they just, they've overtaken many of the parks. And these rats are everywhere. Billions of dollars. The rats uh, infested Europe in the 14th century, killed almost one third of Europe. I read recently that a rat can carry as many as 35 diseases. And here's an amazing statistic. If 95% of the rat population were exterminated, it would replace itself in less than a year. Rats have killed more people than all the wars and all the centuries all combined. And then uh, if you have this picture here in Iran, these big old giant rats. Look at this thing. They are, they are, have, they have invaded these mutated giant rats are there and they're actually having a hard time getting rid of them. Folks, I'm telling you what, if I saw a thing like that, I would, you talk about afraid, I would be certainly afraid. Folks, the fact is you say, what's going to happen? The Bible says this is just going to be a terrible thing that's going to happen. Thank God that there's hope though. We have hope in Jesus. There's deception. There's disputation. There's deprivation, there's death, and then comes the fifth seal. You'd say, well, man, this is already bad enough. You mean it's even going to get worse, folks? It, it's, not, it's only the beginning of sorrows, as Matthew 24 says, the beginning of sorrows. Look at verse 9. Let's read verse 9 together. Ready? And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. All right. And so this big old scroll is being opened up. And John has been gifted this special ability to either go to heaven or see it in a vision. He himself didn't even know after the fact. But slowly this scroll opens. First of all, world peace. He'd say, all this stuff is going to happen. Yes, but peace comes first. And when all these people talk about globalism and global peace and the United Nations always bragging about peace, folks, the more they talk about peace, the more we know that is the, the, the goal of the Antichrist. We're not against, we're not for war, but the fact is we are for righteousness. And sometimes righteousness doesn't come, or peace doesn't come along with a true righteousness in this world. But it's a seven sealed scroll. Each one is opened up and now comes number five. What is it? They are souls under the altar. What's going to happen during this time? And that is there's going to be great persecution, great persecution, which results in martyrdom. And so now the fifth seal, it is martyrdom. You can read about this also in Mark chapter 13, verses 9 and following, or Luke chapter 21, if you want to Look at those chapters another time. But this persecution will not be just isolated. Today we have little pockets of persecution in Africa. We have pockets of persecution all over the Middle East, in Egypt, and in Afghanistan. There's many places where persecution is taking place in China. But it is not going to be just in certain pockets. It is going to be global. Jesus said in Matthew 24, we're going to be hated of all nations. Every nation on earth will be anti-Christian. Courts will get involved. Governments will get involved. Local uh, groups will get involved. Not only will the government get involved, not only will the neighborhoods get involved, not only will every club get involved, not only will every business get involved, but the 
The Bible even says that a worldwide church, religion will even get involved, and religion will begin to persecute Bible-believing Christians. That's found in Revelation chapter 17, verse number 6. God gives this worldwide religion a very ominous name. <laughs> and excuse me for saying it, but he calls it the false harlot. Harlot, it is a church drunk with the blood of martyrs. You'd say, well, now wait a second, Pastor. Now, I thought the church was gone. How could these people be uh, Christians if all the Christians are gone? Well, that's a good question because all the Christians have gone. Every believer has gone to heaven at the beginning of the tribulation at an event called the rapture or the taking out of the church. But during the tribulation period, in addition to all this terrible things going on, there is going to be the greatest revival in the history of the world. There's going to be an amazing revival. Now, there's going to be amazing um, uh, deception too, but there's going to be millions. In fact, in chapter 7, we'll read next week, so many so that, that you can't even number them. Now, how is that happening? Well, we have 144,000 spirit-filled, of all things, Jewish soul winners. They're going everywhere. I mean, they spend all day long telling people about Jesus Christ. 144,000 Jewish Bible-believing Christian soul winners everywhere. Then the Bible says there's two witnesses that are preaching. And then it says there's an angel in the heavens. The first time that God ever uses an angel to preach the gospel. <laughs> Some have suggested that's TBN or CBN, you know, one of these Christian broadcasting, but no, that, uh, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about an actual angel. The fact is there's going to be millions of people who are going to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, then they're not going to take the mark of the beast. They are going to maybe die from hunger or they're going to be killed in this war. But it says they're under the altar. Notice that they are souls. The people who are raptured get a resurrected body. This group hasn't been resurrected yet. It's just souls. So they are, their body is in the grave or it's been blown to pieces and it's in the sky or whatever. And it's, they're gonna, their body's going to come back. It's going to reconstitute. It's going to join with their soul. Like, like Job said, in my flesh I'll see God. And these saints are the same way. They're going to see God. But they are souls. The truth of the matter is, folks, I'm a, I'm a soul with a body, not a body with a soul. You need to remember, Tim Pollock is a soul. And you are too. You are a soul. And you just happen to have a body. Your body is not who you are. Your soul is who you are. Here it says these souls are under the altar. Most think that, most scholars believe that it's talking about the, the altar of incense, the golden altar, which was one of those altars where the incense came up, which was a symbol of prayer. And uh, that's exactly what these were doing here. But notice why they were killed. It says they were killed because of the word of God. Look at that verse. They were killed for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These were Bible believers. They were not just churchgoers. They were Bible believers. These were people who lived according to the Bible. If the Bible said to do it, they did it by God's grace. If the Bible said don't do it, they don't do it by God's grace. 
They were Bible believers. Folks, what's going to happen during the tribulation period? They are going to be killed because of the Bible. The world's going to say, we are tired of the Bible. We are tired of hearing the Bible. We're tired of people talking about the Bible. And the world is not going to tolerate preachers. It is not going to tolerate anybody, it says here, with a testimony. If you have a testimony, if that was during that time and you happen to be here, I trust that you'll go up with the rapture. But if that was the case, the Bible says it would be one that would put you to death. And I'll tell you one thing, folks, we are moving in that direction already. First John chapter 4, verse 3 says, this is that spirit of Antichrist. You'd say, is the Antichrist here? Maybe not, but the spirit is. And look what it says, it doth even now already in the world. I was reading this week about a pastor in Florida living with his wife at a retirement community. And he uh, was asked by several people in the retirement community to have a Bible study. And so, nice pastor, nice little retirement community, he and his sweet wife decided to hold a Bible study. The retirement uh, leadership, retirement community leadership board heard about it and said, you can't have a Bible study in this place. It would be offensive to others. You can't do it. Now, they can have, you can, they said you can have a book club, but you can't have a Bible study. You can have a book club. And so you could talk about whatever people in retirement community book they want to read about, but you can't read the Bible. Now, folks, that's exactly what's happening. It's a crazy world. People hate the Bible. I read about students in Pennsylvania. They, public school students, wanted to give out Bibles to the, uh, just offer Bibles to the people on campus, and they were not allowed to now. You can give out other religious material. You can give out crazy stuff about concerts and that, but giving out a Bible is just a terrible thing to do. The Bible is very clear. People will hate the Bible, and they already hate the Bible. Verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, Oh, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood of them that dwell on the earth? They cry out. They pray. Isn't it amazing how powerful prayer is? That in the judgment, it is a powerful part of judgment day. Don't ever underestimate the power of, of prayer. And it says here, and by the way, these weren't crying out for um, vengeance. They just wanted the evil to stop. Verse 11, and the white robes were given unto them. Hallelujah. A symbol, uh, and actually it's a, it's a, the word there is a, a dazzling robe of honor. A white robe was given to each one of them that they should rest yet for a little season. <laughs> Blessed, blissful rest. It's not that they get to kick their feet up, but just a soul rest. So they give this, they get honored. They get this beautiful rest in their spirit and tell their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. Isn't it amazing how that uh, they counted it an honor to suffer for the Lord. Now, the final sixth seal here that we'll look at this morning. We've seen the first seal, deception. The second seal, disputation. The third seal, deprivation. The fourth seal, death. The fifth seal, distress. And now, disruption. Worldwide disruption to the atmosphere, to the earth. Look at verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. A great earthquake. 
And the sun became black as a sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. A, we're going to see God's wrath at its, at its uh, massive operation here. Now, God has often shaken this world with an earthquake. He did it on Mount Sinai. He did it with Elijah when he was speaking. He did it with Jesus at Calvary. He did it with Paul when he released him out of the jail. But this is more than any earthquake. In fact, the Greek word here for earthquake is seismos. The same root word we get our seismograph. It is an instrument for measuring shaking. Basically, what it's saying here is a shaking is coming. A shaking so intense, so immense, that the sun becomes black and the moon becomes red. Sackcloth is what people would wear at a funeral. It was very dark, very black. And that's what the Bible says the sun's going to become like. Uh, some have thought maybe it's an eclipse. Others have had other suggestions. Here's Dr. Henry Morris, wonderful Christian scientist in San Diego area. The seismos described here is worldwide in its scope for the first time in history. Seismologists and geophysicists in recent years have learned a great deal about the structure of the earth. Listen, the cause and nature of earthquakes. Earth's solid crust is actually traversed with a complex network of faults. All of them, faults, big cracks in the earth's crust, all of them resting on a plastic mantle of moving plates. The fact is the earth is very unstable, and at any moment it could break open a vast quantity of dust and steam and gas. It would go up into the utter upper atmosphere that would cause the sun to be darkened and the moon to appear to be blood red. Just as an interesting footnote, tonight the most, uh, the most uh, amazing blood moon, they say, is going to show up, if you can see it, in uh, the last two or three years. Um, the Bible says this is going to affect everything. Darkness, of course, is going to affect the plant life. All the cycles by which animals function and humans function. Total chaos is going to come. Verse 13, and stars of heaven fell into earth, even as a fig tree cast in her untimely figs when she is shaken of mighty winds. Can you imagine the folks, asteroids are just coming into our atmosphere all the time. Most of the time, however, they're quite small. They burn up before they hit the ground. There are some that are, they think are coming uh, closer. They're trying to do, they're trying to redirect one of them by shooting a rocket into it. But uh, I read this, uh, here's what scientists say, that if an asteroid 11 kilometers deep, about six miles, the typical speed for meteorites is around 30 kilometers per second. An asteroid 10 kilometers across is so massive that it's very hard to slow down, unlike smaller meteors. When it reaches the surface, it would smack so hard that it wouldn't matter if it strikes the ocean or the land. The impact with the Earth's crust would finally stop the asteroid. The energy of the impact would vaporize the asteroid, and a large amount of the Earth's crust creating a crater more than 100 kilometers wide. Now, this is just a six-mile asteroid. That's a relatively small one. Throwing all that rock into the air, some of this debris would be going so fast, it'd fly right out of the Earth's atmosphere, and it would then go into orbit around the Earth. Most of the debris would rain back down on the Earth, every part of the Earth. 
not just near the impact site, heating up the atmosphere until it's like an, you'd be inside of an oven, triggering forest fires, cooking anything that isn't sheltered underground. This combination of dust and the impact of soot from the forest fires would remain in the atmosphere for at least a year, blocking the light of the sun. Without sunlight, much of the earth's plant life or land or sea will die. On and on it goes. That's just one big old asteroid. Folks, the fact is we are living on borrowed time. Panic all over the globe occurs as this happens. Verse 14, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it rolled together and every mountain, every island were moved out of their place. Folks, every single mountain moved and islands were pushed off. People, and I'll just give a word to every environmentalist that might be here this morning or save the earth group. The fact is, if you think mankind has messed up this world, just wait to see what God does. God is going to super mess it up. Why? Because this is a disposable planet. This is not meant to last forever. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. This world is going to be destroyed because of sin. Second Peter wrote about it, and you can read that in verse number three. But look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men, the chief captains and the mighty men and the, every bondman, every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. And then they had a prayer meeting. Verse 16. They said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne <laughs> and from the wrath of the Lamb. The last thing in the world we should do when we fear the wrath of God is to hide from God. They wanted to be a, away from God. And so they prayed to the mountains. They prayed to the rocks. People today pray to rocks. People today pray to trees. People today pray to the great spirits. And yet the Bible says here, it's a great day of wrath. Worldwide fear like no one has ever known. Let me just draw your attention to one verse before we finish. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 6 and 7. Here the Jeremiah is talking about a future day coming, as many of the verses in the prophets are. Ask ye now, Jeremiah 30, verse 6. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. What? Jeremiah said, men are going to be so afraid, they're going to be like a woman with having a baby. They're going to be holding their loins. Look at verse as it goes on. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and their faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is so great that there is none like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is the name for earthly Jews. We're not talking about those that are spiritual Jews, saved. It is even the name a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Thank God. At that moment, all Israel, at the end of the tribulation, all Israel will be saved. But here God's going to talk about the fact that men are going to be so afraid. They're going to, they're going to wrap themselves up and cry out to the rocks. Tragic, isn't it? Tell you one thing. When I read all of this thing, I am thankful that I'm a born-again Christian. I'm saved by His grace. I am so thankful that Jesus, in His mercy, died on the cross so that we don't have to go through any of that. But I'll tell you one thing. He's coming. That day is going to come when He's going to judge us, O earth. But not only does it make me thankful, but it makes me with a greater feeling like we need to evangelize. Folks, we need to do something. We need to make a difference out there. 
Why are we trying to build this building? Why are we trying to grow? Why are we trying to do what we can? Because folks, Jesus said this world is, is going to shake apart and we want to be ready. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.